Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Callier, and joining me each week, well, he's not joining me this week, is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Unfortunately, he's had a little bit of an accident in his car last night, but hopefully he'll be back next week. Anyway, today's guest is Rob French. Rob was the deputy head at Campbell Grammar for the last five years, and this week sees him jump into the hot seat for the first time as principal at Kilvington College in Melbourne. We're hoping this will be the first of a three-episode arc as Rob takes us on his journey with him throughout his first year as principal, something that I'm looking forward to across this year. So without further ado, let's get to it. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Luke. Great to be here. I think that may have been the longest intro I've ever done. This is what happens when Matt's not here to keep me in check. Anyway, as as you'll know, as a listener, we like to uh, to kind of go back and and have you talk about your professional journey in schools and uh, how you ended up where you are. Yeah, really lucky. We were very fortunate. So, growing up in Melbourne, I went to the local state primary school and the state high school, and the independent section got opened up to me when I did a teaching round at Halebury College down here in Keysborough. And the guy who is now my, or was my current principal at Campbell Grammar, uh, Paul Hicks, left Halebury just when I was there doing the teaching around. So the timing was ideal for me and I got off of that role. At that stage in the early 90s, there were very few jobs in uh, the state system. So I was then in the independent sector. So five years at Halebury, which was great. And then after that, I probably thought needed a bit of a challenge and something different. And a friend of mine had actually got a job at Cary in Kew. And he said, I think you'd really love it here. Great culture, a move from all boys to co-ed. So a job came up at Cary and that was probably the really significant move for me because soon after that, a head of house job came up. That was my first step into leadership. And that probably set me up on the bit of the journey to where I've got now very much pastoral care focus. I was able to do a year in England, which was great. I had a year off without pay at one stage. The principal there was very supportive of that at the time. And I actually did some personal training for a year, just had a complete break from teaching. And coming back into schools from there is when I really got more serious about leadership. And uh, a Geelong grammar job came up as deputy head in middle school there. So I was very heavily involved with the borders and the uh, the after hours programs there at Geelong grammar, which led to a head of middle school job at Camberwell. And then the deputy role at Camberwell came up a couple of years after that. So I did five years as head of middle school and was four years as the deputy at Camberwell before the role here at Kilvington came up. So I've been very fortunate along the way, worked in some great schools, uh, some great mentors along the journey as well. Uh, but it sort of evolved, I guess, pretty slowly, more looking for challenges rather than just seeking out an ultimate principalship. And Matt likes to talk about this calling to vocation uh, for some people and, and, a, and a calling into leadership roles. Some people knowing it's innate that one day I'm going to be a leader, other people just kind of falling into it, other people kind of getting a tap on the shoulder because other people see something in you. You know, are there certain moments during your career where people have kind of tapped you or where you've felt, you know, a certain, you know, job was was your next calling? It's an interesting one. I, I never, I didn't come into teaching thinking ultimately I wanted to be a principal. I was very young when I got that break into Halebury. And at that stage, any school leadership was not what I was thinking. I was just enjoying the school environment, loving the day-to-day interactions. So I had a love of school and a love of teaching. Uh, Moving to Cary, I guess what I found there very quickly is that they were very supportive of younger members of staff stepping up into these positions. So I did get a tap on the shoulder to go for the head of house role when that came up. It was a head of house in middle school there. 
And so I'd say I was more of that, about that tap on the shoulder and then, I guess, maturing and then evolving into leadership positions rather than actually setting out in teaching, thinking one day I'm going to be a principal. And just going back to something that you said, you know, during your journey, you know, you took a year off um, and did, went and did something totally different. You know, how, how did that year impact you? Because that's, I think in education, it's a pretty brave thing to do. Not, not too many people step out of, you know, the classroom, you know, during their journey. Um, but those who do often find it really, you know, a really rewarding kind of year and, and, and learning a lot of different things along that journey. Yeah, it was really significant because what had happened, I'd come back from England, I think in the year 2000, after a great year there, and that's when I started thinking I'd like to focus now on my next challenge. And so I started doing the personal training thing just as a bit of a hobby, as something on the side, just as an interest. And then as I got a bit more experience with it, and then I picked up a couple of clients part-time, uh, I started to think maybe there's a chance here to do something different because I'd been very aware that I had gone through university and then been lucky enough to get a job at Halebury, which I wasn't expecting. I thought I was going to do dip ed, travel a bit, work a bit in other areas, and then get back into schools. So because I'd been teaching at such a young age, I had always thought it'd be personal growth-wise, it'd be great for me to do something different. The thing with the personal training that really sharpened me up was... I guess that it was that leaving the school environment, which I really missed. I always thought I'd come back to schools. Um, but then there was this whole business side of things that I had absolutely no previous experience in and no idea about really, no business acumen and no previous study. I was a humanities, a politics, history major. And that I was surprised probably two things with the personal training. One is how much I actually enjoyed that business side of things and the actual study for it. And secondly, just how little I knew so it certainly did when I came back into teaching and back into schools, had me a bit more focused thinking there's a whole area there that I need to get more across. And that's why I went and did a diploma in business management, which led to a few years later an advanced diploma in leadership and management, which I did through the Australian Institute of Management. So to step away from the, I guess, the more traditional masters of education sort of pathway was really significant for me as far as that leadership development went. And I think that's really interesting. So you, you you're almost saying that because of that year and because of what you experienced there, it actually informed what you think you needed to do later on in terms of some of the further study that you did. Absolutely. It was really significant for in a couple of ways that year. One is that I realised that I really wanted to be in the school environment. And it was probably after that year coming back into back to Kerry in 2006 that I was very much then thinking I wanted to be on a leadership pathway. And I think a few things have been awakened in me, having to run my own business and you know, when you're going to bed at night with a little personal training business behind you where everything just hinged on you being fit and able and well to be there and in place and, you know, possible interactions that could lead to uh, clients. It was just that whole way of thinking that I hadn't had to previously been across in schools. Uh, so I did really enjoy that, but certainly opened me up to a different experience and certainly a different pathway as far as study and filling in, I guess, what were a couple of gaps as far as my leadership where I went with the uh, business side of things. And as myself, as someone who also has taken steps out of education at certain points, I know one of the things that I missed um, when I was thinking about coming back into education was the community, a community feel of when you're on campus and, you know, there's lots of different things going on and seeing people at their best. That was what really drew me back into education. What, what was it that you missed during that year? Yeah, very much the same. I remember for the first 
probably a month or two, it was a great break from the school, you know, the rush bustle of the school day and the regularity of the school day. And I was out there doing a few early mornings and then some mid mornings. I picked up 20 hours a week at a tennis academy, which was great. And that was working with kids. So I was able to keep that connection with, um, with teenagers. But it was definitely the community because things like the marking and some of those after hours things, it was great to have a little bit of a step away and break from that. But the sense of community, and I guess what it really showed me too much is how much fun I had in a school environment. You know, you know, schools, you have some very sad day and some terrible days in schools, but generally they're a fun, upbeat place to work. And I really did miss that. So it was very much the community, both students and my peers that I really missed and couldn't wait to get back to. So I know when I left Kerry that at the end of that year, I knew I had that safety, the blanket, the year off without pay. A lot of my colleagues were saying, now that it'll be it, you'll go off and you'll love personal training and that'll be the best thing and you'll be head off into this whole new venture. But I always thought I'd be back. And it just confirmed for me what I knew is that I wanted to be working in schools. So fast forward uh, to, um, you know, some point during the journey of, of last year or um, or so, you know, you, you obviously heard at some point about uh, this job coming up. Um, can you talk us through how that how that happened? Yes. Yeah, so now the with the Kilvington job, that I think that was the traditional way through the age here in Melbourne, the Saturday age in Melbourne that I first saw the advertisement and then put a call through to the recruiters. So it was very much through that, uh, working with the recruiters in that initial stage. Uh, so the what happened was yeah, after I put a call through, had a chat to someone just as a bit of a screening, had an appointment then, I think it was in the first term holidays to go into the city, into official leadership who were doing the recruiting process. Met with Liz Jones, who was in charge of that, and she was great and very helpful. And from there was lucky enough to then get the first round interview and then things sort of unfolded from there. There was a first round, then a second round. And then uh, I heard pretty quickly after that actually that I was preferred, but had to just hold on to that for a while while contracts and things were sorted out. Uh, so it was quite a while before it was all announced after that second interview. And going back a step, had you been applying for a few? Are you allowed to talk about that? You know, is that something that you were actively doing uh, and had been through a few processes um, and and how did this compare to others potentially? Yeah, good question. I had been through two other processes and really good experience. I guess I was the sort of person who was, the, I was really loving Camberwell Grammar where I was and in a great role there as deputy head of, and head of senior school. So it was a great place, great environment. And I think that's a really good position to be in when you are searching for your next step to be really loving what you're doing. I think if you've got a bit of desperation to move on, you've probably stayed too long and it doesn't always work out for you. So I was very much enjoying what I was doing. So I was certainly not what I'd call a serial applicant. I wasn't thinking it's got to be a principalship. I was waiting and thinking if schools came up that I thought were a right fit and culturally thought I was a match for, then I would have a look at them. I think the previous two I'd been approached by the recruiting companies doing those and thought might as well have a chat, um, but didn't go much further than that. So Kilvington was one where I'd, I'd had, it was interesting. I had Kilvington on my mind a little bit actually in the years leading up to it. I just thought a great size school, thought it would be a really good fit for me. Uh, so it had been one that had been on my radar for a little bit, just in the year or two leading up to uh, last year. And you said there that you were approached by a couple of recruiters about other roles. Is that kind of what triggered you thinking that you were ready for that next step or were there certain things that happened over the last couple of years that you know kind of gave you that mental preparedness to kind of go okay now now I'm ready to to start you know a couple of applications 
Yeah, probably a combination of both. So the role at Camberwell, and I was really lucky with the head there, Paul Hicks, who was, um, gave me a lot of experience dealing with, you know, some staff matters and other things and very much, uh, I guess, trusted me. I felt very trusted to uh, be running the senior school. And so that gave me a lot of experience. And I think one of the absolute key things, and certainly recommend this to anyone if the chance does arise, is uh, Paul went away for a term in 2019. Uh, term two, which gave me the chance in that acting role. And that had actually happened to me at Geelong Grammar too. I got to be head of middle school there for six months while the, the head of middle school was on leave. And that was really significant because even up until that point, I was probably still not absolutely sure that I would have applied for principalships, just that next step and that next stage. But doing it for that term and uh, really enjoying it and thinking, yeah, this is a great challenge and this is something that I'm really enjoying. So if opportunities come up, I'll that I'll strike and have a look at them. Uh, and certainly having a little bit of that experience, even if it was just that a term, which is, I guess, term two is the longest term in Melbourne. So, um, and including the holidays, best part of 14 weeks or so. So it does give you a amount of time in that chair. Uh, so and I think that was really significant for me. And it was also definitely significant as far as recruiters and people looking for someone, because I guess the principal thing, the great unknown is if you ha are untried and you haven't actually been in the role before, so I could come back to that and say I was in that role for that period of time. We had some pretty significant events going on during that time as well uh, that I had to manage. Uh, so definitely significant as far as where I was personally placed and as far as where the recruiting agency certainly saw me. Absolutely. Um, I guess I want to go back to like, obviously you said you saw it in the age. Um, you said over the couple of years you'd been thinking about Kilvington. Were you, were you actively doing some research or then did you actively do a bit more research once the role came up? Certainly when the role came up, very much so. What I used to do every now and then just for personal development, and I think it's really interesting to do, is just jump on a few school websites. And, and I used to do that a bit anyway, just out of interest. I used to block in a bit of time sometimes in the evening and, and just do a little bit of browsing just to see what other schools are doing and how they're presenting themselves online. I like to look at their strategic plans personally. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So all of that definitely. But when the interview process work came up, so when I'd sent in my application, very much then it was absorbing myself in the website. And just other things too give you great avenues. Like when you click onto YouTube, you get a lot of the less formal things like sometimes a student put together videos about year 12 formals and uh, you get a bit of a, I guess, a bit of an insight into the culture as well. So when you do dig around a little bit more widely than just a school website, when you are consciously really looking at a place, you do get a really good feel for it, for what you can see online. I think nothing beats probably talking to people who've got experience with that school, but, but certainly these days, probably compared to even 10 years ago, you, you can get a really good insight into the schools, the way they do present themselves online, which seems to be I guess a lot of marketing people have helped out a lot of schools with that, and it does seem to give you a lot better coverage than what it would have a few years ago. And is there any sp anything specific that you were looking, you know, deeper into on the website, like annual reports and, you know, things like that? Did you request yeah, any information during that process? Yeah, certainly leadership structure, which is really good and really clear is to see that. And then the events, the events were the great ones, because I think that gave me a bit more feel for the culture and definitely some of the, the key pillars of the school, um, the community and the care and the respect and their values came pretty clearly through. So I guess what I was looking for was that fit, uh, what, what sort of I believed in and what the school believed in and seeing if there was a correlation there. Uh, so I was certainly looking through that and it, looking through the website too, you just saw a lot of celebration of different student achievements and uh, cultural events. 
So it gave a fair insight into the school. But what I was probably looking for is that match, thinking, could I see myself in this environment and thriving in this environment and being the right person for that school as well? And what when you talk about leadership structure that you're kind of looking at, I know when I look at leadership structure at other schools, often I go down a rabbit hole and end up kind of doing a bit of desktop research on key positions of, of you know, and who's in what role and, and trying to find out a bit more about the team. Uh, is there anything that you can talk about, you know, in terms of what you're looking for at the team? Uh, yeah, it was good to just get a gauge on the backgrounds of yeah. the people in those different roles because um, schools do structure their leadership a little bit differently and because Kilwington say is a little bit smaller than Campbell Grammar so we have got a head of senior school year 7 to 12 a head of junior school whereas Campbell Grammar's got that middle school in there as well so looking at who is on the exec is just always interesting and just looking at backgrounds and once again looking at that I guess that fit and seeing where I would fit in around that and um, it looks like a great team I'm getting to know people really well which has been great just this week and uh, late last year we had a few interviews that came up and I was able to join a few panels which was really worthwhile um, so a great team in place uh, and it was yeah just good to get a bit of background just a bit more about people and I guess what makes them tick and where they've come from on their journeys. And so I guess at that point you've done a reasonable amount of research uh, into the school and you've decided that you think you would be a good fit can you take us through, you know, like you said that uh, I think you said that you placed a call to the recruiter and then from there, you know, submitted an application. Can you talk about what went into that application, um, you know, in terms of how long did you spend on it, you know, like how in-depth did you go um, with it? Can you talk around that that process? Yes, so – yeah, CVYs and things, they were pretty much ready to go. I think the, the most time-consuming bit was the um, response to criteria. I think they're really important in those because schools do tend to set those up a little bit differently and it really gives you an insight into what they're looking for as well. So I certainly spent a fair few hours just working through the response to the different selection criteria and uh, there were things about community engagement and pastoral care and you know curriculum and things that you would expect, but it also... Um, a few other more personal things too. There was a section there just, uh, they were obviously just finding out a little bit more about me as a person and how I like to switch off and sort of hobbies and interests. And so there are a fair few things in there that I was able to really, I guess, expand on to sell myself a little bit, but also to show them who I was a little bit more clearly through that, the selection criteria. But even the the one page letter, I think it's, yet yeah, sometimes you've, you've got one, you've used it before and it's so tempting just to change a few school type names and send that in. But I remember with this one, I sat down and really wanted to individualise and make it a little bit more specific from, from me to particularly Kilvington directly. Uh, so I did rewrite that and that can be very time consuming because if you are trying to succinctly say what you want to say and sum up your career, uh, you've got to you know, draw that balance between going too overboard and having too much so people will tune off and tune out and not read it. So that did take a bit of time. I did work through that pretty carefully because, as I said, I think one of the temptations is if you've got one before that's you know worked for you and got me to you before, it's pretty tempting just to send that in. But but I think yeah, if it's worth really going for, it's worth doing a little bit more than that. I think you're right. My sense of it is that you can you can sense if this letter's been written generically, um, and I think that putting that time in, you know, for me myself, I, you know, when you you really want a job like. You know, spending five, six, eight hours on a letter seems a lot, but I think worthwhile, um, you know, in the long run. Absolutely. 
I just think you're, you're right there. I think there's a couple of things there where you might be talking about your background and that's not going to change a lot. But as far as what you're presenting and what you're wanting to present for them, I just guess it feels a bit more authentic when you're writing it directly to them and addressing it to them rather than just rehashing something that you've had in the past. So certainly that and then the response to the criteria. And once again, it's a bit of balance there because there is a fine line between putting too much in and just getting, I guess you want to cut to the chase a little bit and just show your experience. And I know the one thing for me that kept coming up a little bit was just that experience in 2019 when I had had that position. So I was aware of putting in real life examples that were just going to show that, oh yeah, he's he's done this and he has shown that he has been across this and done this in the past. So I think real life examples are more valuable than in some of those cases there when you're answering criteria than showing your theory or your knowledge of something. I think to be able to say in 2018, I had the experience of doing such and such, just adds a little bit more clout and a little bit more value. And so from that process, I think you said you had a couple of interviews. Um, you know, can, can you talk to us around what those interviews were like and who they were with? Yeah, they're always pretty intense. So the first one was quite late in an evening, actually, and that was with most of the school board. And Rick Tudor, who's a principal from, he was at Trinity in Melbourne here, he was helping them out as probably the ed educational consultant on that panel. And the Baptist Union, so Kilvington's a Baptist school, so the chair of the Baptist Union was involved in that panel as well. Uh, so yeah, pretty intense, but some really good questions. And once again, I think what I found in that first round interview, especially, is a really good opportunity to bring up examples. I know just things, examples like uh, when should the school council be involved in something or when you would you inform them about something as opposed to thinking you'll manage it yourself. And I had actually been just acting in a role just very short term at Cary in 2020 when we were at, sorry, at Camberwell when we were considered the first COVID cluster school, which was pretty intense at time. And to have been working pretty closely with the chair of council through that period, there was an example that I was able to bring up when I was at the interviews. Just So I think being able to call on examples was valuable there. But um, yeah, a lot of questions just about, uh, and I guess it was all about the fit and you know what I value, what I see is important, um, what I'd like to achieve you know, in that first year and uh, scenarios about you know difficult parents or difficult conflict resolution situations that I've been involved in in the past. So I do remember walking out of that first round interview. You never walk out thinking that that was great. That was that was just gold. Um, you always walk out thinking I should have said this and that. But I do remember thinking in that first round interview, I had a lot of opportunity to talk about previous experience. And a lot of the questions that came up led to me being able to say that yeah, actually I did deal with that situation a couple of years ago and this is how I managed it. So there, there were quite a few of those scenario based practical questions. Um, so yeah, that was good. That was good process. And then I think I heard during the next week that I was lucky enough to be called in for a second round interview, which was going to involve a presentation. Did you think much about those questions and those scenarios and your examples before you went into that? Did, like, did you spend a lot of time doing a bit of recall? I did go through those things. I remember um, Phil DeYoung, who's my the principal at Cary when I was there and been a great mentor of mine, I remember calling him the Sunday before I went into the interview. My daughter was playing, uh, she's played her first season of Girls AFL and I was walking around the boundary and called Phil and just had a chat to him. It was really good just to get a few of the scenarios that he would be thinking are important and significant. So you're never going to be 100% sure, but I guess it's just backing that, look, you're experienced and you, you've been called up for an interview for a reason that they think you've got the experience and, and backing yourself that 
if you haven't dealt with it before, then it's going to be something you just haven't dealt with, but you're going to be comfortable doing so. Um, but so I, I did weigh up a few scenarios and things, but I don't think any of those were the ones I was directly asked. You're never going to be quite sure, but I just had a feeling things were going to be probably around managing conflict and um, staff management. There are probably going to be things around dealing with let's say where situations are emotional between parents and the school and, and different student scenarios. So I, I guess I broadly thought they were going to be within that range and they mostly were. And your second interview, obviously you had a presentation to, to put together. Um, can you talk to us around what was uh, the basis of the presentation? So yeah, the presentation, I was asked to prepare something about my vision for the school and how it engaged the community. So what I decided to do in that was talk a little bit more about my own personal journey through school, even when I was a student myself, what was really important to me, what was significant, what I'd taken from my own schooling and how that shaped and drove me, I guess, every day as an educator and what's really significant and important for me. And then uh, then was able to speak about engaging all stakeholders, so the parents and the students, um, my colleagues and the council and alumni and just working through how you know, obviously being a visible presence and being around to as much as I possibly can be. Um, it's a really, I think a really fortunate position to come into a school that's just about to embark on a new strategic plan as well. It needs to be written this year, because I think that just is such a great way to engage conversation with a whole range of stakeholders as we prepare that. And that'll be one of the main goals for the year actually to get a really good strategic plan going. Um, so the presentation, yeah, very much around, first of all, my own, I guess, personal philosophy and what's important to me in education. And so I was speaking about very much, yeah, schools being able to make a difference in young lives. So to make a difference on an individual who then goes out and impacts and makes a difference in the world uh, is I think the essence of what really good schools do. And I was able to speak about that and then about how to engage the wider community in, in that vision. So what you're kind of saying there is more, you've taken your own view of where you want education or what you think edu great education should be, as opposed to, you know, when I sometimes think about that, I think, you know, you're expected to provide this vision for an organisation that you don't even know that well yet. And I always thought that would be quite challenging to kind of present that when you kind of don't really understand the fundamentals of what's happening in there yet. But I kind of really like that concept of, well, I'm just going to give them my view, um, you know, of how I think education should look. Yeah, I think and gauging from the first round interview, I, uh, we were very much aligned. I, I got the sense that I was very much, we were very much on the same page with what we saw as significant and as important. So I thought starting off with that was, and as I said, probably a good safe ground to start on because as you had, you're speaking there about your personal beliefs and philosophy, as opposed to trying to almost guess about an environment that you're not a part of yet. Um, and I know the last part of my presentation, I did very much, uh, you know, acknowledge all that had gone on before me, uh, John Charlton, who's stepping away after 14 years here uh, from all reports, pretty much saved Kilvington when it was an all-girls school. Um, so when he took over 14 years ago with dwindling enrolments and he made it co-ed and has revived the school and put it into a thriving position. So I think it's really important to acknowledge what's gone on before as well. And, and I know the last part of the presentation was about building on that, I guess, the combination of tradition, but building for the future as well. Um, I think I did mention there, I think sometimes schools can make the mistake of going too far, too steeped in tradition or too much a focus on the future. But I think getting that balance right is really significant and important. And I think I did finish up by just saying something about that. Yeah, I think that can be tricky for schools, potentially, particularly for schools that are, you know, 60, 80, 100 years old to get that balance right of honouring honoring the past, but really thinking about the future. 
um, and managing those stakeholders accordingly. Absolutely, with with all with often strong passions about either one, and uh, definitely it is a balance. And I, and I think acknowledging the past and the traditions is really significant. But then schools who get so, I guess, focused on their strong traditions run the risk of potentially not keeping an eye on the future. The next 10 years could look so different and the ability to be agile in that space is really significant and something certainly that you want to be across and not getting, I guess, too much one way or the other. Now, many of the principles that we've talked to over the, over the past episodes of the podcast talk about their relationship with the chair um, and how important that is. Uh, can you kind of speak to, you know, obviously how how that relationship has formed over the over the first kind of few months and and how it came out of those interviews? Yeah, so really positive after the interviews. And then there was probably a little bit, I think what had happened was when I was offered that role, we were in term two, so we're heading into the big Melbourne lockdown, which prevented us getting together in person through term three. So it was a while before we were able to meet up again in person, but we did have a couple of catch-ups on Zoom or uh, Teams. And then the chair and the deputy and I sat down late last year, just probably just a week or two before the school year broke up and sat down and had dinner and a good chat about things. So it was really good just to, I guess, establish a bit of a relationship and um, talk about the early stages and talk about those early days. Um, but I guess we all agreed back then that there was still the incumbent who had his job to do. I had my job to do at Camberwell. So there's a bit of balance there as well. You don't want to get too sort of I guess, caught up in a school or involved in a school that you're not actually working with yet. So, but it was really good to have a couple of preliminary chats and just to establish a relationship and um, and feel comfortable talking to each other. Yeah, I just really want to ask about the phone call that you must have got, um, you know, and what was that like and, and what were your feelings, uh, you know, when you got off the phone and who did you call first? Yeah, so... This is when I was offered the job. We're thinking, yeah, so it was, I do remember that. It was a Monday night quite late and I was at Camberwell and just about to head home when actually Liz, the recruiter, gave me a call and just said, just got some really good news, you're the preferred, uh, which was great, which was, was, was brilliant because I had come through both interviews thinking I, I just really liked the people on the school council. I really liked the atmosphere of the school. I really liked the philosophy, uh, the values, and I thought this, this is a place I would really love to be at. So, you know, without wanting to get too far ahead of myself, I was... It felt was, like a fit. It felt like yeah, it was going to be a, a and good I thought fit. If I was going to be offered, there was going to be absolutely no hesitation. I, I was just absolutely all in. And um, having said that, Campbell was a great school. I was at a great environment, but I just felt the timing was right and ready and this one felt really right. So that was really positive. I was about to walk out to my car there and the... People that I spoke to that night were, so Fieldy Young, who had been a uh, referee, so I gave him a call, which was great. Uh, my current head had also been a referee, Paul, was great. And then when I got home, I, I think I spoke to them when I was in the car and then spoke to my wife when I got home and that was really nice. And then we actually held off on it for quite a while because there were the other things that needed to fall into place and there were other things obviously with the contract and then uh, just the timing of when the announcement was going to be. So it was actually quite a while before I could speak about it more broadly. Um, so it was really great to get that phone call. It was really exciting because... Um, yeah, I just felt incredibly fortunate because, you know, for any job, there's just going to be a lot of strong candidates and a lot of times it's just that right fit, the right place, the right time. And uh, it's it's just, you know, going to be a challenging one to get all that aligned. So, no, I was really grateful, uh, very excited and great to be able to talk to a couple of people who I had been very close to and had also been great mentors of mine through my uh, school journey. 
Now you found out. Now I know one of the things that you started doing when uh, once you found out to start preparing. Um, but what, like, what did you do over that next kind of three to six months? Obviously, you're still doing your your day job. Uh, but what were you doing? Uh, what did you start doing to start your your journey into the new role? Yeah, it's a really good question. It was yeah, and very much absorbing. Because term three in Melbourne was very challenging with the lockdown, and so I was very hands on it at Camberwell with what was happening there. And you know, we had some some major events in the community as well that uh, required a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of my time and emotion and energy. But the one thing I remember really clearly, this is where this is where you guys came into it. I remember there was one weekend in term three where I thought, haven't thought a whole lot about it. I really want to do some reading this weekend. I just want to do some searching and some reading. And I often love to read uh, principles, principles and their advice. You know, when AHESA puts out sometimes their publications and it's often got a retiring principal and they pass on advice. And then, so I think I was just browsing that weekend and I was on LinkedIn and I saw someone comment saying, really enjoyed a great interview with, is it David Mulford from Newington in Sydney on the Ed Leaders podcast? And so I haven't been a really big podcast listener actually up to that point. And so I had to listen to you guys that weekend. And I've got to say, and I'm not just saying it because I'm lucky enough to be talking to you now, but that was really significant because you asked exactly the questions that I was wanting to find out from people. You asked those existing principals and some very experienced former principals, any advice that they've got. Uh, I think you asked them some really good questions about their main challenges and the main things they had to focus on, where they thought education was heading. Uh, so getting onto your podcast was gold. It, it was just the perfect timing for me to start that preparation because that's what I wanted, more from people in the chair, people who experienced principals and their advice and their experiences and what they're passing on. And then so as well as that, a bit of reading, a bit of speaking to other people. Uh, luckily for me, Rick Tudor, who had worked with the, the council in the recruitment process, had really gelled with them. And they had asked him if he'd be happy to be a mentor for me as well, which has been great. And I did know Rick a little bit from previous interactions as well. And uh, he's, he's just great to talk to as well. So definitely talking to people who are experienced uh, talking to my current head as well was really good and really valuable. And then a bit of reading and your podcast, I think, became the main crunch of how I started to then, I guess, mentally prepare and get myself focused and get myself ready for the challenges that lie ahead. Well, thank you for the praise. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get my head out the door after that. <laughs> after my tyres have been pumped up that much. But, uh, yeah, I do think you know, hearing from other principals. And I think when we're in our own schools, we tend to tend to kind of get caught up in our day-to-day -day of what we're doing and we hear from one principal. You know, always, it's not always practical to hear from other principals. So I think, to your point, it is always, uh, you know, refreshing and enjoyable to hear what other, other principals are doing in the space. Absolutely. And I think sometimes in a deputy head role, you can get very uh, operational. You're very much in the moment and, um, sometimes it's harder to get that time to step back and then see other schools or talk to other people. But yeah, certainly I think getting advice from people who've been in that job for a long time, it's got to be the first port of call for a young first time out principal because you're talking to people who've they've gone through what you're about to go through. They know exactly what sort of position you're in and what you're facing. They've dealt with all these situations before. So I think they're definitely the first port of call. And the advantage of you, the podcast was you know, sometimes when you're trying to read things, you've got to scan through a lot of information to get to the crunch. And I guess what I found with your podcast and your questions was they got very much to the crunch of what I was really interested in hearing. Thank you. Um, uh, I guess I'm interested in Kilvington and, you know, like what support have they provided you 
kind of like maybe that three month, you know, term four lead in, you know, has there been a lot of dialogue? What sort of information were they sending across? You know, what did you find useful to ask for? Or what did you think, what didn't you ask for that they sent, which you were like, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So some really good things like just uh, some preliminary planning for the strategic plan, a, a bit of preliminary brainstorming. Uh, a staff list is great. And if you can get a staff list with photos, that's even better. Uh, so some of those sort of more practical things were really valuable. And I guess what happened there was, as I, I think I said earlier, that I was lucky enough to be involved in a couple of panels through term three. And although they were via teams, it did give me a chance to meet some of the people here on the ground at Kilvington. And then John Charlton and I got to uh, have a bit of time together through that process as well. And then when in term four, things opened up again and restrictions were eased, it was brilliant to be able to come here again because it had probably been here for the interviews in May and it was probably November by the time I could come back here. So sitting down with John, certainly, and he's been very generous with his time and still available to me, which I really appreciate. And so sitting and talking to him was was great as well. So, uh, and his assistant was very helpful as far as just providing all this information. So there was a really good lead in. I guess people were really helpful when I did reach out, um, but I was conscious that, yeah, as, as I said before, I've still got someone doing the role here. I didn't want to get too sort of involved. But I guess the other things that were really valuable were there was a year seven parent information night that I was able to come to and meet some parents, which was great. And then that led to a year seven orientation day and I was able to come for the first couple of hours that morning. And that was just brilliant as well to be able to meet some students, uh, meet some other teachers, see this, you know, the school in operation, albeit on a slightly different day, but just to be around the place and mixing with some people was really valuable too. So I think that experience was great to be able to get here for some of those key events. Um, and otherwise, it's, it's just been, um, yeah, talking to John mostly, but then reaching out just for different things. So I'm just having a think now that, yeah, things like, as I said, strategic plan documents were sent, staff lists were sent, even things like the exec retreat that they usually have in January. It's happening in a week or so. And I was sent what happens in the past at that and uh, some previous papers from the exec. To, so just to get a bit of a feel for what sort of things have been discussed and what sort of things were very much on the radar. And I guess... Um that kind of brings us to this week, really. Like you walk in on yeah. Monday, and uh, and you you know walk into your office, uh, and it's probably quite empty. Uh, I'm assuming. Um, what was it like? You know, did what were the thoughts running through your head walking in uh, that first day? Yes, yeah, so no, really positive. Walked in here, uh, great office, great setup. Yeah, like you said, quite empty. So it gave me a chance to unpack a little bit and put a few photos around just to make it a little bit more uh, feel, feel like mine. Uh, and then uh, in those early days, you know, it's all about IT and getting things set up and getting the logistics right. And the guys have been great and very helpful. Uh, so walking in on that first day, really positive. It's very quiet here at the moment. A lot of people working from home, but more coming in next week. Uh, so it has been a really good week just to you know, get to talk to the grounds guys and get to see some of the other um, things just going on around the place. There's a building a project going on and the business managers here. and. Uh, so good to meet with a couple of key people, um, but really significantly it was just to get a feel for the place because I still walk around here and get lost walking around, especially with a building site going on. You've got to go around different ways. Uh, so getting a feel for the place before the rush bustle of school year starts has been really good. But um, So this week has been great and starting to look at things like, um, I know next week we're spending a fair bit of time on the website and um, working out, you know, like even my first uh, first couple of staff days and what they're going to look like and then the first days with students. At the moment, we're planning and hoping for a normal start to the school year, but we've got this 
the obviously the COVID situation, and so obviously have, I've got a bit of a thought about that as well because. Because you know, my first preliminary planning was as soon as the school year starts, I just want to be around everywhere and wanting to get to know people so much. And if that was jeopardised through COVID and restrictions and lockdowns, that would make it very challenging. But at the moment, I'm staying optimistic and thinking that we'll start the school year as planned, as normal, and launching into that. But no, to come back to your question about Monday, it was was a great feeling. Actually, came off the beach at Torquay the night before, Sunday night, great week with the family. So I felt ready. I felt like I'd had a, a good break and I'd been very switched off during that week at Torquay in the water there and um, had deliberately not given a lot of thought. So I thought when when I hit the ground running, I'll really hit the ground. So so Monday was really good. And, and this week has been very much just about getting set up and getting a bit prepared for a, a few things in the immediate uh, future, the next couple of weeks. Now, I want to kind of transition to talking about the future. Um, a couple of the principles we've had on the podcast where we've we've asked them, you know, like what was it like in the first few months or what did, what did they do when they arrived? Often uh, they talk about a listening tour uh, as definitely one of the things they do. What have you got planned for the first 100 days, um, you know, of your principalship? And, and I think that hopefully this becomes, you know, the part two of our, of our three-episode yeah. arc to uh, come back to you in 100 days and, and, and kind of see how you went. Yeah, that would be great to talk again in 100 days. 100 days is often the significant day for the preps too, the 100 days for preps. So I'd love to be in that photo of the first 100 days of preps all in one piece and having got through. So no, but very much as you said there, I think the preliminary stage, it's all about relationships. It's going to be a lot of listening and and that's as broadly as I can possibly go. So obviously there's a lot of stakeholders There's when the staff and my colleagues, my new colleagues, most of who I haven't met yet, the students, I've met a few, which was great, but haven't met a lot of students yet. So really looking forward to that. And I guess that's the key to it. That's really what we're doing the job for. Um, so the colleagues, students, the parents, and then alumni as well. So it will be, hopefully things will run to plan and we're running functions and things. It's just going to be very much getting around to meet as many people as possible and to doing a lot of listening. I just think, once again, it shows that uh, well, that's very important as well, but it also just shows that you are very, oh, I want to be very respectful of what's gone before me. I'm aware that some of my new colleagues have been here for a long time and the school means a lot to them. And they've got some very strong ideas about, you know, what makes the school strong and what makes it so uh, successful. And so listening to that will be really valuable. And as I said before, I think starting a new strategic plan is a great time to start at a school because it does give a chance to do a lot of listening and to ask, even in in incidental conversations, what do you think is really important and what sort of things should we be looking to change and having those conversations around strategy will be a really key part of that first 100 days. And I think it's so key, um, and I've heard other people talk about this, you know, like those people who have been around a long time um, and have the kind of corporate knowledge of the culture of the place or maybe some of the, you know, the gatekeepers of the culture, uh, if you want to call it that, you know, how important that is to to want them to be advocates rather than adversaries um, and, and managing, you know, their expectations of someone new coming in, I think can be such a challenge. Definitely. And I think that's the thing to, I guess, reassuring people, first of all, that you certainly haven't come in here thinking that, right, things change now because it's all going to be new and fresh. And because I think valuing what has worked in the past and what has made the school so successful and has built such a rich culture and environment is super significant. And I know a lot of people have different views on what's helped to create that. And I guess the short answer is to it. There's no one thing that's led to that. It's a whole range of intangibles and 
So to hear that from people is just so valuable. And I, I clearly remember when I moved from Geelong to Campbell Grammar and the first thing I did was sit down with some long-term staff members who, who'd seen it all, seen the changes, you know, from the 70s right through, and especially in boys' schools, they'd seen just the era's change and the demographic change and the whole philosophy of the school change. And I think once again, to have those guys feel reassured that you're really valuing what's gone before you is really important. And that was certainly a really valuable thing to do at Camberwell. And I'm really looking forward to doing that here. And taking that uh, that uh, telescope and looking a little further ahead, a year or two, obviously you've alluded to the strategic plan this year. Um, you know, what are, what, what are other things that you want to uh, want to look at trying to achieve? And how will you kind of reflect back on, you know, you know, if we take the, the part three in a year's time, you know, how will you measure internally how you feel like you've gone? That's a really good question. And I do think a lot of that is going to be intangible as well. But I think if I'm sitting after the first year thinking, first of all, personally, that I love the place I've, I've connected and I've fallen in love with the environment and then feel that I've got really strong relationships and feel like I've been able to really build that trust. Uh, I think that is a hugely significant thing. And if we've got a really good strategic plan working to the future, that's great. But I think the key is still going to come back to relationships. And if, and you know, you know the feel of when you walk around a school and if you're um, engaged with staff, engaged with students, engaged with parents, and it's feeling really positive, uh, then I think that first year I'll be thinking that's, that's great and that's really what I want to do. So I guess by the end of the first year, I want to be seen as very much a part of the place, very accepted very trusted and have basically, th this is a, a community that I'm very attached to. Uh, well, let's come back to that in a year's time and uh, and we'll see, uh, you know, how, how you feel like you've gone against your own uh, measurement of, of success there. And, and I think you're right. I think a lot of it is intangible, you know, um, how do you really measure, you know, your impact is, is quite challenging and I think, you know, relationships and trust is such an important part of being a leader and uh, and what you might want to achieve in years, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, will be sown probably in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. Absolutely. Yeah. Would love to talk in a year's time. And I, I do think it is going to come back to relationships in all of that. And I guess like teaching as well, actually, when you're looking at your classroom teaching, so much of what you'll say makes a successful teacher is intangible because it's all built around relationships and it's been able to read people at different times and read situations really well. And and a lot of that is, as we said, it is totally intangible. And I think the relationships from the principal's point of view is going to be a little bit the same, a lot of it intangible, but I, I think there's probably a pretty strong feel in a school pretty quickly. And that's what I want to be really positive. Now, I guess uh, getting towards the end of um, our chat, I kind of want to go back and kind of talk about kind of like the last five to eight years of your career and kind of your sense of what the what the education sector is doing and and you know you obviously talked about doing a I think it was a sort of diploma in business um, what could we be doing better to prepare uh, people like yourself over that you know last five to eight years to take on the role that you're about to take on yeah really good question. I think that especially for people who haven't come from a commerce economics background, I think any links to to organisations like the Institute of Management would be really valuable. I know Ahisa run uh, financial literacy for schools, which is uh, really valuable. So I, I guess opening up those pathways and I think those Ahisa aspirant workshops that they do as well. I went to one of those 
at Camberwell Girls a couple of years ago, which was really valuable. So I think there's definitely things like that that are in place already. But I still think the key thing for people in that, let's say, middle management where they're looking at future things is going to be really good mentors. And I guess the education sector as a whole, it'd be great to tap into people, say like John, who's just retiring, and but he's fit and energetic and got a lot to give. And I'm sure there's a lot of recently retired principals with time on their hands who would be very happy to take on more official mentoring. And I think it does happen out there, but I, it doesn't always get set up officially through, let's say, the, like an independent um, sector. And I think that would be incredibly valuable because once again, as I said, I think just to get that experience with someone who's been through what you're hoping to get to is going to be liquid gold. So I think study pathway is important, but probably even more important is setting up critical relationships and mentoring. I couldn't agree more on that. And I think you're right. I think there are a lot of, you know, people out there who have got 15, 20, 30 years experience who, you know, like they have, they do have these informal networks, you know, and informal relationships with a few principals potentially. But I think, um, you know, we could be making a, a lot more use of, of that expertise. Yeah. And, and I think current principals as well, often incredibly generous with their time, but they are very busy themselves. And that's why I just think that recently retired group of principals is probably the the group that I'd be looking to tap into and just to see if some more formal channels of mentoring could be set up. Maybe that's something that ed leaders should look into. <laughs> now, as you know, uh, we like to ask uh, our um, our guests to open up the crystal ball and talk about education and, you know, what your vision or where you think the future of education is going to be in five to ten years' time. Have you got any thoughts on, on where you think education is headed over, over the next kind of five to ten years? Yeah, a couple of things that I think have really come up the last few years, and one is you cannot replace face-to-face -face teaching. And I think COVID's taught us that. And what what we miss, the wider school cultural thing is so important. So I think the next couple of years are going to be very much getting back to getting back in person and getting the events going that build the school culture will be really significant. And on top of that, I think the last, um, well, let's say probably 10 to 15 years, we've seen an increase in expectations on school. So when things hit the media, like a couple of years ago, when there was quite a lot of talk around consent, and it very quickly came back to what a school's doing uh, to educate about consent. And I think even 15, 20 years ago, that would have been probably seen more as a parent's domain rather than school. So I think the next few years, we're certainly going to be seeing that, I guess, that balance between providing the academic pathways, but more and more emphasis on personal social growth development, including programs around you know, sexual education and consent and uh, those things. And the, uh, I guess, um, emotional intelligence and overall growth and development. And as well as that, we are also seeing probably even increasing the last couple of years, it's just that emphasis on preparing for the 21st century. So the 21st century skills. So I think schools that just pitch themselves now as purely uh, with great academic results um, are probably going to be uh, left behind a little bit in there because where there is an expectation now about that 21st century workplace and equipping with the necessary skills. So I think we're going to see schools linking more with industry and getting more out there experiences for students around year nine and 10. And I think that'll probably become more and more significant over the next five to 10 years. I think you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head there. I think that the future and the 21st century skills, as schools move more towards that, the traditional academic subjects while important to a certain point, I think there's going to be more of a, a demand and a shift towards, well, how do, how do they link to industry now and how do they link to jobs now? 
um, and the jobs of tomorrow. Like I think I read something yesterday where the top three paying graduate jobs um, from university with zero years experience were all software development. Yeah. And so yeah. you kind of go, are we really doing enough in that space and how many kids in year 11 and 12 are really taking that, you know, that, that pathway? Um, Absolutely. Probably the last five years that's become more and more significant. And when you look at some of the data from the foundation for young Australians is that they put out some of those workplace changes and we are in a period of absolute uh, mesmerising change. And to prepare young people for that is certainly going to be one of the key things that schools are going to have to be doing. Absolutely. Now you know you would also know that we uh, we have a, our our final uh, part of the part of the show where we change the name every week. This week I'm calling it the Super Six. So one word or idea uh, in quick in quick transition. One trait all leaders must have: uh, integrity. One word to describe your perfect executive team: passionate and trusting of one another. Like it. One measure of a strong school culture. Relationships, staff, student interactions. What does student success look like for you? I think, as we were just saying before, for young people to leave the school, uh, so they move beyond the school gate, they're ready to make a positive difference in the world and they're equipped with the skills to do that is going to be a real measure of success. But if we've got young people who feel connected to their school community, they love coming to school, they're able to follow their passions, they're valued for who they are, I think that's success for students. I love that answer. One book worth reading? I'm going to give you two. Oh, you're breaking the rules like everyone. That's all right. Uh, yeah, yeah, the rules are there A little bit of holiday reading, but interestingly, I haven't finished, but, but great. And one I got onto from your podcast, Paul Browning Principled, which was all about trust and the importance of trust. And it, it really valuable. I just picked that up on my Kindle when I was at Torquay. And the other one that I was actually given as a present when I left Camberwell, um, Ferocious Warmth, School Leaders Who Inspire and Transform, Tracy Ezard. And that's, I guess, the balance between leading for results and leading with compassion. And um, just started it, but seems really valuable, particularly around school leadership. Great recommendations there. And lastly, who would you like to hear interviewed on the podcast? A lot of people, and I've mentioned a couple, so Rick Tudor, who's been a great principal in Melbourne for a long time, um, retired, Phil DeYoung, also recently retired um, principal, longstanding, um, both so generous with their times and both mentors to a lot of people. But the other person I thought would be really valuable, I've only met her once at a conference, but uh, Beth Blackwood, who is the CEO of AHESA, who was a principal herself over in Perth, over in your way for a long time, um, would bring a lot to the table as well. Uh, I'll have to get back onto Beth because I've emailed her a few times. Uh, she was a principal at PLC when I was there, so uh, I know her relatively well. Um, but Keep I think persevering. I think I, she'd be really good to I hear from. I think you're right. She would be great to have on the podcast. Um, look, I really want to say thank you for giving up your time to come on uh, today and 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 really kind of sharing you know some personal aspects of your journey into your into your new role um so thank you for giving up your time this is when i generally throw to matt uh for his two bobs about what he's taken away um from today's uh episode but you know for me uh, you know i just i just think it's just that honesty and transparency around your process and you know understanding you know the steps along your journey and and what you faced and and how you kind of um have managed to navigate that journey has been really interesting and I think the audience is going to really, you know, really enjoy it. So thank you. No worries. Thanks so much, Luke, and all the best to Matt.
And just before I end, have you got any last minute advice uh, for people that, you know, maybe they're some way on, on that journey, maybe they're a couple of years away, or maybe they're just about to start thinking for applying for principal jobs. Any, any, any last advice you want to throw out there? I think the main bit of last advice I'd give to people aspiring leadership positions is just make sure that you're doing the best job you possibly can in your current role. Because I think sometimes there's a little bit of a tendency to, I think, think I've got to do this because that's going to set me up for the next one. And and um, so it's more a bit of a step along the way rather than absorbing. And I, I just think if you're doing a really good job in your current role, your next role then is going to be better taken care of. Um, but definitely um, open-minded and broad-minded and talk to as many people as you possibly can, especially experienced leaders who've done the role that you are aspiring to be in, whether that's a principal or a deputy or I know schools have got a lot of other different positions now that weren't around even four or five years ago around a lot of strategy and mission and vision. And I just think uh, talk to experienced people who have walked where you want to be walking because uh, they're, they're going to be the best source of information for you. And with that in mind, if the audience out there wants to connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah, very happy to connect. I'm on LinkedIn and also at Kilvington, especially when we just uh, add a few things to the website and my details will be on that as well. So it can be contacted at Kilvington, but I'm certainly on LinkedIn and yeah, very happy to uh, connect with more people and love chatting about the educational landscape and uh, love talking to fellow educators. So very happy to connect. Excellent. Well, that brings an end to our show for today. Remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and don't forget to share the love and tell, you know, the person sitting next to you on your left and your right and across the room that you listen to this great podcast called Ed Leaders. You can also sign up at edleaders.com.au where you can keep up to date with all the latest and connect with Matt and I on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. And as there's no Matt, I will do that go well.